Well, good morning and welcome to Cross Point Church here in Sioux Falls. Today is Mother's Day, and so we just want to take a minute and wish all moms everywhere a happy day. We hope that the Lord is encouraging you, even in the midst of this coronavirus, and we're just uh, trusting that God's giving you opportunities to be a blessing to your family and for your family to be a blessing to you. So thank you for all you've done for all the rest of us. Whether you're here in Sioux Falls or you're out there in cyberspace, we want to thank you for taking time to check in this morning and worship with us. Whether you're part of the Crosspoint family or you're somebody who's just made a habit of worshiping with us, we're really glad you're here. And the answer to the question is yes. Uh, I can just tell you the answer is not no. The answer is yes. Yes, we are getting closer to that time when we can come together on Sunday mornings and worship together as a church. But as to exactly when that's going to happen, no one knows. So yes, we're getting closer, but we still don't have an exact answer. And I think I shared this last week or the week before. Well, one of the things that I've learned in the midst of this coronavirus is that it becomes easier for me to understand that the church is not a building on the corner. The church is a gathering of God's people. I'm convinced there's only one church in the world, and there are people, men and women, boys and girls from every continent, every nation, who love Jesus are a part of the church. There's only one church, and you're either a part of the church or you're not part of the church. There's only one church around the world. There's only one church in America. There's only one church in Sioux Falls. There's only one church. People who love Jesus are a part of that church. Now, in Sioux Falls, they might meet in 150 different buildings, but there's only one church. And so it's much easier to understand that the church is a group of people. And when we can't be together, when we can't get together during the week and when we can't get together face-to-face -to -face on Sunday morning, it's, uh, it's just like we're missing something very special. So I just trust that you're continuing to pray that God would stop this disease and this pandemic from happening so that we can get back together sooner rather than later and uh, be an encouragement to each other. Well, this morning is Mother's Day. Well, all day is Mother's Day, but this morning on Mother's Day... I'm going to tell you, I'm going to take the time to tell you two stories. I'm going to tell you two stories about two different women. These two women I'm going to talk about, neither, met, neither had ever met the other one. But there's something very special about both these women and their lives. But before we go any farther, let's just take a moment, and I'd like to pray. So let's just bow our heads and pray. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for allowing us the privilege that we can come together through the, uh, the technology that you have given men and women the wisdom to create and invent. And God, we just want to pause from the busyness of our lives and remind ourselves again of what a loving, gracious, kind, Heavenly Father you are. And thank you for all the good things you've done in our life. God, we thank you for the way you've cared for us this past week. We thank you for those many ways when you've protected us from harm. We thank you that you've uh, protected us from harm and from illness, while at the same time being a gracious, kind God and providing for all of our needs. 
We thank you for doing, continuing to do your work in the life of each person who crawls cross point their home. We thank you for using every situation in our lives to draw you closer to you. We ask that you would do, Lord, what, what only you can do, that you would heal the sick, that you would meet the needs of those who are struggling, that you would encourage those who need encouragement, and Lord, that you'd hear the prayers of those who are praying. Lord, we ask that you would speak to each one of us in and through your word, not just on Sunday mornings, but Lord, that we would develop the habit of seeking and searching you in your word on a regular, almost daily basis if we can. We ask that you'd give us the desire to be in your word, searching you and your truths. And then, Lord, we ask that you would help us to identify ways that we can take those truths and apply them to our life. So, God, we are so blessed to be able to hold in our hands the inerrant, infallible, inspired word of God. And we ask that, we ask that it's almost like we would never be satisfied with the relationship that we already have with you. We would never be satisfied and consider that to be enough, but that you would create within our hearts a desire that we would always want to have more of you in our life. So, Lord, help us to keep searching, and, and Lord, we ask that you'd speak to us. We thank you for the many ways you've demonstrated to each one of us in many different ways, Lord, that you are a God of love and grace and mercy and joy and kindness and faithfulness. Lord, help us to live our lives Help us to live our lives as little lighthouses in the midst of this dark, dark world. Help us now, Lord, for the next few minutes to be able to set aside all those worries and moments of anxiety that are going through our mind. Help us just to focus our attention on you. And Lord, that each one of us would open our hearts and minds to the teaching of your word. And then, Lord, do you give us the desire to take these things that we learn and apply them to our life. And again today, Lord, we thank you for sending Jesus. We thank you for his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And we ask all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. I'd like you to grab your Bibles. Take a minute and get your Bibles. And then we're going to get started. I want to tell you two stories. The first story I want to tell you about, I want to tell you about my mom. My mom died last September, which means today is the first Mother's Day since she died. It means that today is the first time that I've never had the pleasure to buy my mom a Mother's Day card. It means that today is the first Mother's Day when I've never been able to pick up the phone and call my mom and wish her a happy Mother's Day. It means that today is the first time I've never been able to order flowers or candy or send a gift to my mom just to show her how much I really appreciated her and how special she was to me and to our family. And, and yet I'm certain that I'm not the only person that is experiencing that today. There are there are many of you out there in cyberspace who are listening to this sermon who may have the same experience, that today is the first Mother's Day since your mom passed away as well. And so not only am I feeling sorry for myself and for our family, but I, my heart goes out to you who are sharing that experience as well. Let me tell you a little bit about my mom. My mom became a follower of Jesus when I was somewhere around 10 years old. I remember, I can still remember 
having a conversation with my mom, and at that point, it was all new to her. And I was 10 or 12 years old, and she was trying to explain to me what had happened in her life. And at 10 or 12 years old, I, I really wasn't understanding what she was talking about. But I remember that's, that's the time frame. My mom had a difficult life growing up. She was from a very poor, very dysfunctional, non-Christian family. And so for her and her family, things that most of us consider to be normal, things like going to church and reading the Bible and praying together, she never experienced any of that. It was just not even a part of her life. When, when my mom and dad got married, they started attending the church where my dad's parents were going, a little country church in southwest Minnesota. Uh, one day years ago, and this would be many years after she tried explaining to me that she had put her faith in Jesus, many years after that, I had a great conversation with my mom, and I asked her if she could tell me why or how or when she decided to become a Christian. And at that point, after she had walked with Jesus for many years, she completely understood my question, and she began to answer those hows and whys questions for me. And she made it very clear that she told me she became a Christian because of the people who were going to her church. She said she was amazed, even from the first time she began attending church there, she was amazed at how kind the people were. Not just kind to each other, but they were kind to her. And they'd never even met her. She told me there was something different about the way they lived their lives. And whatever that was that was different in their life, she wanted to somehow experience that in her life as well. And uh, she told me that those people were so kind and so gentle and so respectful in the way they treated each other. It made a great difference in the impression she had on these people who called themselves Christians. And once she decided that she wanted that in her own life, she understood that what they had in their life was they had Jesus living in their life. And so years ago, my mom repented of her sin. She told God, this is how she explained it to me. She told God she was sorry for her sin, and she put her faith in Jesus, and she wanted to have the gift of eternal life. And I can tell you from that moment on, my mom's life changed. And uh, it just blessed my heart years later for her to tell me that story of how and when and why she gave her life to Jesus. Now, if you have your, have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to 1 John chapter 5. And we're going to look at three verses, verse 11, 12, and 13. These are three verses that give a biblical explanation of what happened to my mom years ago when her life was changed for all eternity. 1 John 5, 11, 12, and 13 the verse says this, and this is the testimony, God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Boy, let's just stop for a minute. That is about as clear as any verse in the Bible. This is the testimony, God has given us eternal life, and this life, this eternal life, is in His Son. Then John says, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Wow. If you're looking for a place that really makes it clear, 
Who is it? Who is it in this world of seven or eight billion people? Who is it that has eternal life? John makes it very clear. The people who have eternal life are the people who have the Son, the people who have Jesus. And people who do not have Jesus in their life, let's be very clear about this because you may know people like this. They don't have Jesus. And let's understand, without Jesus, they do not have eternal life. Now, verse 13, 11, 12, 13. Then John says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know, K-N-O-W, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. It's not something we just hope for. It's not something, well, we wish. I hope it happens. No. John says you can know, K-N-O-W. So with your Bible open in 1 John 5, 13, I want you to take a pencil or a yellow highlighter and underline or circle that word know in verse 13, K-N-O-W. Or with your highlighter, please don't highlight the whole verse. Just highlight the word know. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know with no doubt you may know that you have eternal life. Now, of course, I miss my mom. I, I, miss, I miss calling her. I miss talking with her. I miss, I miss going to her apartment and sitting there in that little apartment on one of those chairs and sitting there and visiting and talking with her. She was a great mom. She was a great mom. And she loved us kids and she loved our grandkids, her grandkids. And she even loved her great-grandkids. I, you know, with each generation, it seems like she loves the next generation even more than the previous generation. But um, our mom was a great, great, she was kind and forgiving. And I don't think there was ever anything that we said or did that we later felt bad about that she wasn't willing to forgive us of. She was just gentle. My brothers and sisters would all agree we could have never asked for a better mom. Our mom died last September 26th. Uh, she was only 98 years old. Only 98 years old. And up until it was about two weeks before she died, she began to experience some uh, severe health and emotional problems. And, uh, but up until that, the whole 98 years, she was doing well and she was just a wonderful mom for the whole 98 years. Because of her faith in Jesus and because of nothing else, it wasn't because she went to church, it wasn't because she was baptized, it wasn't because she had a new Bible, it wasn't because of any of that stuff. It was because of her faith in Jesus, and it's only because of her faith in Jesus that she's now in heaven. And for all of us, for all of you out there in cyberspace, those of you who are Christians, let me say this, if you never met my mom while we were on the earth, it will be my privilege to introduce my mom to you when we all get to heaven. Now, for those of you who have lost your mom, you know exactly what I'm talking about when I say I miss my mom. But for those of you who's, who still have your mom with you, for those of you who still have moms living at this moment, don't waste another day without calling her or without visiting her and telling her how much you love her. Because I want you to remember, today is all we have. 
No one is promised tomorrow. This is all we have. The second story I want to tell you is about another woman. Um, this woman I'm going to talk about is from the Bible, and her name is Eve. And I can tell you this is the first time in 30 years that I've preached a sermon that had anything to do with Eve. I want you to take your Bibles, that same one, get out of 1 John chapter 5, go all the way back to the beginning of your Bible, Genesis chapter 1. Now, if you're not familiar with your Bible, but you have it there in your hands, turn to Genesis, that's way back at the beginning, and it would make sense that chapter 1 is the first page in the book of Genesis. I'm going to read... Well, we're going to jump around in chapter 1, 2, and 3. But let's start with chapter 1, verse 1, the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Boy, it's just an incredible passage. If you're ever looking for a verse or two that you just want to sit and meditate on God's Word for a few minutes, just, just find a comfortable chair and just think about verses 1 and 2 over and over. Read them over and over again in your mind and, and read them from the Scripture and then put them in your mind and just, just meditate on those for a while to just kind of get a picture of what's happening there at the beginning of the beginning of the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. One of my study Bibles has this comment about those verses. It says, after describing how God created the heavens and the earth in verses 1 and 2, then it describes the six work days in verses 3 through 31. And then a seventh and final day, turn the page in Genesis chapter 2, the first three verses. Excuse me. Each of the six workdays, you'll notice in chapter 1, each one has the same pattern. It always begins with things like this, and God said, and then the paragraph closes with, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. Or there was evening and morning the second day. And there was evening and morning the third day. And, and, it, and it's, a, it's a very coordinated, detailed Organized structure, the way God created everything out of nothing. Genesis chapter 1 tells us that God created everything out of nothing, but it's also an account of how in God's creation there's a structure to it. It's not some haphazard, random happening of events. It's precise, and it's accurate, and it's a detailed example of God's greatness. Now let's just walk our way through these first days in a hurry. On day one, God created light. On day two, God created the sky. On day three, God created dry land and trees and fruits and vegetables. On day four, God created the sun and the moon and the stars. That's an interesting day. On day four, God created the sun and the moon and the stars. Now, if you're paying attention to the news or you're paying attention to whether it's written or verbal or audio or whatever it is, or, or visual, 
you know, time goes by and somebody says, well, we identified this galaxy and we identified that star, and this star here is 12 billion light years away, and, and this galaxy is 147 billion light years away. And you began to think, wait a minute, how, how does all this happen? Well, let's go back to Genesis chapter 1. On day 4, God created the sun and the moon and the stars. God created all that on day 4. He's not the one who's still creating these things. It's just science is now helping us to identify those things. And I've tried to understand in my mind, and I'm getting nowhere with that. How do I understand how far away that star is that's 12 billion light years away? I, I mean, that's just, I'm limited. I, I can't even comprehend something like that. But it just shows us how big and magnificent and powerful and wonderful God is in his creation. And he created all this just for us. On day five, things get interesting. Day five, God created everything that lives in the water and everything that flies over the earth in the water. Now, let's just think about everything. God created everything that lives in the water, and he created everything that flies over the water and the earth. He created everything, everything that lives in the water. He created little tiny goldfish. On the same day that he created Shamu, the killer whale. And he created sharks and octopus and snails and those big anaconda snakes and little hummingbirds and robins and cardinals and red-headed woodpeckers. And those big birds that live out in the southwest United States, the condor. He created all of that on day five. And then in Genesis 1.27, if you work your way down to verse 27, as Moses describes for us the things that happened in day six, it says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Turn the page. Go to Genesis chapter 2. Look at verse 20. Genesis 2 20. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But Adam, let's be clear about this, Genesis 2.20, this is the first time Adam's name is mentioned. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. That's Genesis 2.20. Turn the page, go to Genesis 3.20. Adam named his wife Eve. This is the first time that Eve's name appears. So we have Adam first appearing in Genesis 2.20 by name, and Eve first appears by name in Genesis 3.20. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. So now, within the first three chapters of God's Word, Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3, we have the names of the first two humans, Adam and Eve. It's been said that of all the people who have ever lived on the earth, half of them are still alive today. Now, let's just think about that for a minute. Just think about it. Of all the people who have ever lived on the earth, half of them are alive today. Now, I took the time last week and I... I went up and I googled the population of the world and it's somewhere 
it's somewhere around seven and a half billion people. At this moment, there are seven and a half billion people walking on this planet. And if that number represents half of all the people who have ever walked on this earth, then that tells us that there have been 15 billion people walking on this earth. And all of those 15 billion people are descendants of Adam and Eve. Are you tracking with me? Okay, all the 15 billion, only half of those are alive today, but they all descended from Adam and Eve. Now, there are skeptics out there. I've run into many, and you've probably run into some as well. They say they don't believe in a literal translation. They don't believe that there actually was an Adam and Eve. They think that's more of a made-up story. That's just a fictional story. There really wasn't an Adam and Eve. They don't want to believe that there really was an Adam and Eve. They don't think it was meant to be taken literally. It's just, it's just sort of made up. It's like Little Red Riding Hood and all those other little fairy tales. But let's just imagine, just for a minute... Let's just imagine this, that the story of Adam and Eve is not true. It's just, I totally believe it is true, and I believe it's literal. But for those skeptics out there that you're going to run into at work next week or next month, let's just imagine the world that they live in and how difficult it is to live in that world because it takes more faith to believe that it doesn't exist than it, than it does. But let's just imagine for a moment that this account of Adam and Eve is not true, that it's just meant to be some kind of a fairy tale. What, what would that do? What would that do to a person's faith or doctrine or theology? Would Christianity really be the same thing if we thought that Adam and Eve were just part of a fairy tale? No! Not even close. You can't have it both ways. You can't say that on one hand you're calling yourself and identifying yourself as a Christian based on the Word of God and what it teaches, when now you're telling me that except for this part and except for that part, why if at the very beginning we don't take this as literal, if we don't believe this is really the inerrant, infallible, inspired Word of God, it messes with all of our, all of our doctrine and all of our theology. There's serious consequences for people who believe that this is a joke. If Adam was not, let's just imagine for a moment, if he was not a real man, then sin did not enter the world through Adam, as it says in Romans 5.12. Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all people sinned. If sin did not enter the world through Adam then how did sin enter the world? And if the Bible's wrong in Romans 5.12, if, if you're saying that the Bible is wrong on how sin entered the world, then what else is it wrong about? Satan, the great deceiver, would like nothing better than for people to believe that the Bible should not be taken literally. He would like nothing more than for people to believe that the story of sin entering the world is just a cute little fairy tale. Why? 
Because once we start denying parts of the Bible, what's to stop us from denying other parts of the Bible? But the story is true. It's literal. I believe it. The people here at Cross Point Church believe it. And from the bottom of my heart, I hope that you believe it as well. Now there's one thing that Adam and Eve have that is unique to them and to no one else. So let's picture, let's see if we can get our head around this, we get our arms around this, this fact that there have been 15 billion, that's with a B, 15 billion people who at one time or another are either still alive on this planet or they have been alive on this planet. But there's one thing, there's one thing that's unique to Adam and Eve that's unique to them and to no one else in the 15 billion people. And that one thing is that neither of them ever had a mom. Adam and Eve never had a mom. Neither one of them. And so this moment, for the next few moments here on Mother's Day, I want us to think about this. Let's just think and focus our attention on Eve. Eve never had a mom. She's the only woman who ever lived that didn't have a mom. She's the only one who never had a mom that she could share her problems with without being judged. She never had a mom who cared for her and loved her. Eve never had a mom who sang her songs and baked her favorite cookies and put little band-aids on her fingers when she scraped them out in the sandbox. She never had that experience. She never had a mom who prayed with her before she went to bed at night. Eve never had a mom. The actual word Eve means the mother of all living things. Eve was, Eve was the last living thing that God created. Of all those things he created, day one, two, three, four, five, Eve was the last thing. It says in Genesis 2-7 that God created Adam from the dust of the earth. But Eve, according to Genesis 2, verse 21, was created directly by using one of Adam's ribs. Eve was created by God to be Adam's counterpart, to be his perfect companion. In Genesis chapter 4, Adam and Eve have two sons. Those of us who have been hanging around church for a few years, we already know this story. They had two sons. They had Cain and Abel. And before we get done with Genesis chapter 4, the two sons disagree, and Cain kills his brother Abel. It's not a made-up story. It's a real story. But just imagine for a moment of how that experience would have impacted Eve. Not only has she now lost a son, and for all of you moms out there anywhere who have lost children, boy, my heart just breaks. I, I, there's, I can't imagine there's anything worse than for a parent to lose a child. I can still remember the first time I went to a lady's house. I went with someone else to tell the lady in that house that her son was dead. Oh, it was, I can still remember it. I still remember the person I was with. I still, I will always remember the, the lady I went to see and the, the expression on her face to be when she heard for the first time 
that her son had died. Now, let's go back to Genesis chapter, chapter 4. Cain kills his brother, Abel. It's not a made-up story, it's real. Just imagine the pain in Eve's life, realizing that not only has she lost one son, but her other son is the reason that the son died. If there was ever a time, ever a time, when this young woman needed a mom to talk with, it was then. Indescribable, unspeakable pain. But Eve has no mom. And yes, we know from Scripture that Adam and Eve had more children, but how does a mom cope with such a great loss? Eve survived the same way all moms survive, one day at a time. And we trust that God will use all of our experiences, all of the situations that we're in, the painful ones as well as the joy-filled memories. We trust that God will use each and every situation in ways that will bring Him honor and glory, but in ways that will bring us into a closer relationship with Him than we would have had if we hadn't lived through that situation. I imagine that God used all of Eve's life situations so that Eve could learn from them and so that she could teach her kids and her grandkids and her great-grandkids and her great-great-grandkids all the wonderful blessings and things that she'd learned about her loving Heavenly Father so that future generations could understand and pass those same principles on to their children. Isaiah 46.10, this is part of what Eve would have tried to explain to her generations. Where God says, I will make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. God says, I will make known the end from the beginning. I say, my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. Eve very early in her life, came to understand that there are things that happen that make no sense. You and I need to also understand that there are things that happen that make no sense. There are things that happen that we have no answers for. When those things happen, our trust is not in the government. Our trust is not in science. Our trust is not in the military. Our trust is not in education. When those things happen, our faith and our confidence and our trust is in God alone because He's the one who has a purpose for everything that happens. Now, the Bible, you know, this Bible tells us a lot. We can spend our life studying this book and still never understand all of it. But the Bible doesn't tell us everything. I remember watching those ads on TV when people would, uh, when this company would advertise the National Enquirer, and I still remember their little slogan, Inquiring Minds Want to Know. Well, for me personally, I really don't want to know what's in the National Enquirer, but I do want to know what's in Scripture. But I think God creates within us a desire to know. And yet there are things in the life of Eve that the Bible is completely silent on. I want to know what those things are. 
It tells us that Adam lived to be 930 years old. The Bible tells us that Adam lived to be 930 years old. But it's completely silent. The Bible is silent on how old Eve lived. I don't know why I want to know. It doesn't matter for anything. I just like to know. There's another thing the Bible doesn't tell us. After Adam was created and he's in the Garden of Eden, I've always wondered this. How long did he live in the Garden of Eden before God created Eve? One of his jobs, you know, was to name the animals. Have you ever thought about what that would be like to name the animals? To name the animals. There's all these animals that God has created on day four. There's all these animals and none of them have a name. I remember when an Years ago when we had kids at home and, and we'd get a new dog. We never had a cat and we're never going to have a cat, but I love dogs. Um, sometimes it would take us a day or two to name one dog. I, I, wait a minute. It took us two days to name one dog. How do you live in the Garden of Eden where nothing has a name and it's Adam's responsibility to name all the animals? I wonder how long did that take, and then that's when he realized there was nobody for him. Everybody had a partner, but not him. The Bible doesn't tell us that. It doesn't tell us how long he lived in the Garden of Eden before God created Eve. And it doesn't tell us how long they lived in the Garden of Eden before sin came. But those are all questions that we can sit and we can sit and think about, but they never really matter could use our time in better ways than thinking about things that don't even matter. But because God specifically and carefully created the world's first woman and gave her the name Eve, we can only imagine that God cared for her throughout her life in the same way that he cares for us. And he has a plan and a purpose for everything that happens. He had a plan and a purpose for Eve and her life, and he has a plan and a purpose for us and for our life. And it's hard to imagine all the many special ways and the way God orchestrates the details just so that he can bring blessings into our life or situations into our life that will bring us closer to him so that he can do his work in our lives. And so for all you moms out there, we trust that you're having a great day. We trust that you're in love with God and in love with Jesus and that you're doing your best to live your life in a way that brings him honor and glory and that you're understanding that all those situations in your life and, and many of you are facing difficult situations. But remember, our faith and our confidence is in God alone. It's not in this world. It's not in politics. It's not in science. It's not in government. Our faith is in Christ alone. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we continue to uh, walk through this pandemic, this battle that we call the coronavirus, we ask that you would do what we've asked you to do every week since we've been away from church. We ask that you would continue to give wisdom to President Trump and to Governor Noam and to Mayor Tenhaken. God, we believe that you are in absolute control of every situation. We believe that you're in absolute control of this crazy Thing called the coronavirus, but Lord, you have placed governments and put them in positions to make decisions for the people. God, we believe that these people are in place because you've placed them there. 
And we ask that you give them wisdom on how to make decisions that impact all of us. And in the meantime, we ask that we would be good followers of Jesus, Lord, by being submissive to those people in authority over us. We pray for people everywhere who are struggling with the virus. We ask that you would hold them close, that they would sense your presence, that you would hear their prayers and the prayers of their families. We ask that you would protect those men and women who were out there in harm's way, that ambulance workers and policemen and fire, firemen and women and doctors and nurses, people who can't stay home, they have to go to work. We ask that you'd protect them and keep them safe and that you would continue to reveal to them and to especially, Lord, reveal yourself to those men and women who don't know you and have no time for you in their life. But God, that they would come to understand the things that you've taught us, that you are a gracious, kind, loving, forgiving God who wants to be a part of their life as well. We'd ask you to help us, Lord, as a church, to identify ways that we can help our neighbors and coworkers, and Lord, help them both spiritually and physically. We ask, Lord, that you'd help us to make good use of our time by eliminating all the junk in our life, the things that just distract us from things that matter. Help us to focus our lives on things that matter for eternity. And God, we ask that you would continue to walk with us and care for us while we continue to be separated from each other on Sunday morning. And we look forward to the day, Lord, when we can come back here as a church at Cross Point and for churches all around the country and all around the world. We ask, Lord, that you would give us that desire, but help us to be careful and to be patient. And Lord, give our local leaders wisdom so that they can understand when is the best time for us to come back and worship you. And Lord, we ask you today, we thank you for our moms. We thank you for the many ways they've cared for their children and spoiled their grandchildren. We ask that you would bless them and encourage all moms everywhere. And we close with this blessing from the book of Jude. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forevermore. Amen. On behalf of Cross Point Church, we want to thank you for worshiping with us this morning. And if you have the time, next Sunday at 1030, we'll be right back here online, ready to go. May God bless you, and I hope you have a great week.